may be seated. Well, good morning. My name's Robert, and I'm the lead pastor. I want to welcome all of you. Uh, we are finishing up a sermon series that we've entitled Gifted, that we've been looking at uh, a number of spiritual gifts, uh, not all of them that are mentioned in, in the Scripture, but a number of them. And there are some sheets that have the gifts on them. Cindy, can you go find them? Are they on? Did everybody get one? They're on the table back there. Yeah. Most of you don't have these sheets, right? Okay. So he's going to pass these out. Cindy's going to help him. Um, and they have all, every gift that's mentioned in Scripture uh, and a little, little definition and uh, will be helpful to you, I think, as you think about your own, your own gifts. Um, what we've been saying from Scripture is that every Christian has uh, gifts, spiritual gifts given to you by God uh, for the purpose of serving on the mission of the church, both building up your brothers and sisters in Christ and uh, reaching out and demonstrating, proclaiming the gospel out in uh, the world, and that those diverse gifts should work in a unity, sort of like the parts of a body, human body, work in unity. Uh, and the way that a human body works, where the, the, what, what brings about the unity in those different parts of the body is the brain. And the Apostle Paul actually uses uh, this idea of the unity of the church. And he says Jesus is basically the brains of the operation. He says this in places like Ephesians 4, verse 15. He says, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So there he says the way that the body of Christ works in unity is that it's well connected to the head. It's growing up into the head. And so this is sort of the short answer to how is it that the church is made up of diverse people, diverse gifts, backgrounds. How, how is it that they work in unity with one another? And the short answer is Jesus. And Jesus is usually the answer. So if there's a question in church, you're not sure, answer Jesus. And you're 99% of the time, you're going, to be, you're going to be right. And this would be one of those times. Uh, so that's the end of the sermon, right? Church, stay connected to Jesus, and you'll be unified. No, it's a little more complicated than that. Uh, there's a whole mix of people that make up uh, the visible church, the, the, the local church. There's people with different maturities, di people that aren't even Christians yet that are in the mix and they're figuring it out and they're working through it. And, and, and so there's this whole mix of people at different stages that uh, make up a visible local church like Mercy House. And so what God does is he leads the church through both the, the Holy Spirit who's dwelling inside those that are uh, believing Christians in a local church, but he also uses the leaders. And so we see this in that same chapter, Ephesians 4, verse 11. He says, He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. 
So he, he mentions these five different people, different gifts that are exercised in the church. You can remember these with this acronym APEST, okay? Apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher. And all, all of these gifts primarily use their words to build up the body of Christ. And that's awesome. It's needed. Uh, if, if they're going to help the church mature, they're going to talk to the church about maturity. They're going to preach. They're going to teach to the church. Uh, if there's a problem in the church, they're going to speak to the problem. Right? We even use that vernacular. Uh, they're they're going to talk to the church about the problem and how to work through the problem. If they want the church to move forward, they're going to talk to the church. They're going to motivate the church. They're going to exhort the church uh, with words. And that's good. And that's what they should do. Uh, but it takes more than that. It doesn't take less than that. Right? We, we always want to have teaching, preaching, uh, shepherding kinds of ministries. The Word of God has, has got to go out if a church is going to be matured and grown. Uh, but it also needs a gift of administration. And that's what I want to talk about today, the gift of administration or the gift of oversight. And I'm going to uh, use an experience in the life of Moses. And we're going to look at Exodus chapter 18. If you want to look at that with me, uh, in the Bible. Exodus is the second chapter in the Bible. All right, so Genesis, Exodus, chapter 18. The scriptures will be on the, the uh, screen, uh, but if you'd like to look along in your Bible, you can do that. So Moses, uh, great leader of the people of God, probably the greatest Old Testament leader of the people of God, really. And he's a talker. He's a talker. If there's a problem in the community, uh, even though he started out with a stuttering problem and he was a little hesitant at first, it doesn't take him long to, to begin to, to exercise uh, ministry through talking. And so if there's a problem in the community of God, he's going to talk at them, right? I mean, Deuteronomy, which we're going to go through Deuteronomy in our fall sermon series. It's one sermon. It's 33 chapters long. It's one sermon. And it's the last thing he does before he goes up on a mountainside to die, right, is this long sermon. So if there's a problem in the community, he's going to talk to the community. Uh, if there's a problem in the life of an individual, he's going to sit down with them and he's going to talk to them. And it's, and it's great. Um, but it, it was not enough. It was not enough. He had over two million people that he was trying to shepherd and just him talking to them as a community, talking to individuals as much as he could, it, it just wasn't enough. And so he gets some good advice from his father-in-law, Jethro. Now, uh, Jethro uh, is not a Hebrew. He's not an Israelite. He is uh, the priest of Midian. So he's religious and he lives uh, in Midian and he, uh, he and his family took care of Moses while Moses was wandering around in the desert before he came back to lead God's people out of Egypt. And while Moses is with that family, he marries Jethro's daughter, Zipporah. And so Zipporah leaves with Moses. They go to Egypt, take God's people out of there, and now they're wandering around in the desert, and Jethro comes for a visit. Uh, he hears all about what God has done. The minute he gets there, he gets the whole debrief. And he hears about the 10 plagues in Egypt. He hears about the Red Sea. He hears about the miracle of manna in the desert, all of it. And the result is that Jethro becomes a worshiper of the one true God. He becomes a worshiper of Yahweh God, the God of Israel. And we know that because he offers a sacrifice to the God of Israel. So, so he enters into covenant 
with God. The next day, he decides to go to work with Moses. Doesn't that sound fun? Take your father-in-law to work with you. And so Jethro's going to come along with Moses to, to the office. And this is where he picked this story up, uh, Exodus 18, verse 13. It says, The next day Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood around Moses from morning until evening. And when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, What is this that you're doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me, and I decide between one person and another, and I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. Moses' father-in-law said to him, What you are doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. So Jethro goes to work with Moses, and he has some feedback from Moses. Jethro sees that there are some problems. Uh, He sees that the people's needs are not getting met. Uh, He sees that the people are getting frustrated with that. He's seeing that Moses is headed toward burnout because he can't deal with all the needs that the people have. He also sees that everyone is oblivious. Everyone in the system is oblivious to these problems. Uh, And we all suffer from that. We can see everyone else's problems, but we can't see our own. And oftentimes it's because we don't arrive into these situations overnight. These are incremental steps, slowly, like a frog in a boiling kettle, we end up in a mess. And we don't even even know it. Uh, Moses taught God's truth to the whole community, and then individuals in the community They needed to apply that to their personal lives, and they needed personal shepherding to figure out how to do that. Moses was obviously the most qualified one to to do it, but there's only one Moses, and there's two million or so Israelites. I remember having a a similar conversation with Ailea. Ailea was a brilliant grad student, uh, and she and her husband were here at Mercy House for a number of years, and uh, she did a lot of different things in, in our church. And I remember one day, just very kind and very gracious, she said to me, she said, Robert, I really appreciate the rough and ready style of Mercy House, but I think there's ways we could do this better, right? And she, she could see that there were things that could run better. She could see the problems. She could also see opportunities. And she was graciously using her gift, her fresh pair of eyes, to then help us to do church in an even more fruitful way. This is what Jethro's doing for Moses. He, he's a leader in his own right. He's been a, a priest and in some sort of a religious kind of a context. Uh, and he has wisdom to give Moses. Um, and so he doesn't only see the problem, though. He sees the solution. Lots of people can see problems. That's, that's not the hard thing. <laughs> Many people can see problems. This can actually be one of the most frustrating things about ministry is when people see problems, but they don't want to participate in the solution to the problems. Um, I don't know how many times this has happened. Not a lot, but, but off and on through the years, someone saying, 
well, why doesn't this ministry work better? Why don't, why don't we have this particular component to our ministry? And Lois, who's been here for 17 years, and me, who's been here 18 years from the very beginning of the church, looking at each other like, yeah, we're wondering that ourselves, you know? We've seen these problems. We've worked at these problems. We've tried to find solutions to these problems. Looking and finding problems, not that hard, but finding solutions to the problem. Now, that's helpful. And this is what also Jethro, he offers. So verse 19 in in Exodus 18, he says, Now obey my voice. I will give you advice, and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God. And you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, look for able men from all the people, Men who fear God, who are trustworthy, hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you. You'll be able to endure and all this people also will go to their place in peace. So there's a lot of parts to this solution. So one is this solution is very God-centered. Notice that he begins by, by saying, uh, I have this advice for you, God be with you. And then he ends that little section by saying, God will direct you. He's letting Moses know this is not some humanly hatched plan. This is not the latest business book that I just read, and I think I'm going to be able to to, to give you some solutions. He's pointing Moses vertically to God, and and, and whatever solution that he's going to offer, he's he's wanting that solution to bring glory to God and good to the people of Israel. So first and foremost, it's God-centered. Secondly, it incorporates the unique gifts of the people of Israel, including Moses. Notice that he says of Moses, you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. He affirms Moses' gifts, his role. He's like, you're a talker. Keep talking. I'm, I'm not saying it's bad what you're doing in terms of your unique gifting and calling. I want you to continue to teach and to talk. But his plan also included the unique gifts and calling of the people of Israel. And he says to him, let them judge the people at all times. He knows that Moses, sometimes we use this vernacular where Moses is doing the air war, right? He's talking, he's preaching, he's teaching, but somebody's got to do the ground war. Somebody's got to sit down with with individuals and help them apply the truths that are being taught from the front to actually put those into practice in everyday life. So it includes the unique gifting of the people of Israel. Thirdly, it includes details for how to accomplish that vision. He doesn't just paint some sort of vision of what could be and then say, you, you figure it out. He's like, and here are the steps to make it happen. And so what, what he's saying here is, uh, he, he's saying, first of all, look for people who, and he uses the, the, the term fear, right? Fear God. Uh, that doesn't mean they're, they're quaking and afraid and running from God. It actually means that they, they know God, they love God, they worship God in such a way that they obey God. 
They don't just participate in religious ritual. They, they actually know God and they follow him. They obey him. He says, first and foremost, this, this is the people that you're looking for to be leaders among you. And then this overflows from that fear of God, it, people of character. He saying, look for people who, who uh, are trustworthy, who will not take a bribe, where someone offers them, hey, if you'll judge in my favor, I'll give you this money. And they'll say, no, no, I'm doing this unto God. I'm not doing this for my own good. And he's saying, so, so they need to have character. So not only fear God and be God-centered, but, but for that to be working itself out in, in a godly character. And then he talks to them about uh, capacity. And, and, and he, that's what he's talking about when he's talking about thousands, hundreds, fifties, tens. This is something that Moses would have to discern. He'd have to think, okay, this particular person, potential leader, they fear God, they have character. Are they ready for 10 people to, to lead? Are they ready for 50? Are they ready for 100? Are they ready for 1,000? And you have to discern what, what's their capacity for, for this kind of leadership. We, we look at the same kind of things in our own church when we're considering potential leaders. We want to know, do they actually know Jesus? Do they follow Jesus? Is following Jesus to them just like coming to church and singing songs? Or, or do they actually walk with Christ on a daily basis? Which then overflows in the next question. Do they have a Christ-like character? Or, or at the very least, are they moving forward and being transformed to be more like Christ? And then the third piece is, do they have the competence, the capacity to actually do the thing that we're considering placing them in uh, a leadership role for? Um, Moses listens. He listens. Moses listened, verse 24, to the voice of his father-in-law. He did all that he had said. Moses chose able men out of all Israel, made them heads over the people, chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, of tens, and they judged the people at all times. Any hard case they brought to Moses, but any small matter they decided themselves. And then Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went away to his own country. It's, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful moment there where, where, where Moses, who is the teacher, the teller, the talker, uh, has someone come beside him who is an administrator. He, he exercises the gift of administration, the gift of oversight. And it seems that he stays around until the plan is executed. He, he doesn't just say, you ought to do this. I'm headed to the beach. You know, like, have a, have a nice life, Moses, trying to figure this out. He, he seems to stay until Moses figures out who he wants to put in what role and over who, and he helps him administrate. We see this gift in the Romans 12 list that was read earlier. Uh, Romans 12, 8, well, we see several gifts mentioned, one who exhorts in exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal. That's the gift that I'm talking about uh, today. And this Greek word translated lead literally means to set before or to set over. Uh, it, it's, it's used in other verses in Scripture. Here's a few examples. 1 Thessalonians 5.12, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you. That's that same Greek word being translated there. Uh, 1 Timothy 3, he must manage his own household well. It's talking about uh, the, the, um, what, the characteristics of a potential elder, right? So it's saying have oversight, management of one's own household. And then 1 Timothy 5, let the elders who rule well. That's that same Greek word being translated, except this time rule. And so what that gift 
does is it takes the big picture that oftentimes comes from those apest leaders, apostles, prophets, evangelists, teachers, shepherds, and, and they, have, they have a vision, and they're like, this is, where, this is where God's leading us. This is where we're going. And then the one with the gift of administration or oversight is saying, okay, I'm on board. I like that. I can see it. But here's a list of 200 things that's going to have to happen from here to that vision if it's actually going actually to happen. And it is a beautiful, it's a powerful, powerful gift and so needed. Uh, administrate. Uh, administrators have the ability to see problems, to see opportunities, and then to solve those problems and seize those opportunities. Right? So, so yes, it includes seeing things, but it's not just that. It's, okay, now here are the, the steps that's going to be needed to solve the problem or seize um, the opportunity. Notice that that uh, Romans 12 description there has a little caveat. Some of the gifts have a little caveat. Some of them don't. This one does. The one who leads, it says, with zeal. Now that Greek word being translated zeal uh, literally means to hurry, to haste. Um, I think partly the reason it's saying that is because those who have the gift of administration, they're thinkers. And they can become paralyzed in their thinking and their planning. Right? Maybe you've heard the paralysis of analysis. Right? They want everything to be so perfectly planned and so perfectly executed. The problem with that is that plans are very much like battle plans. You come up with your plan, and it, but then you get in the battle and, and then things start changing and you're having to do things on the fly. And it doesn't mean you don't need plans. You need them. And they help mobilize more people than if it was just sort of this organic thing where you're just like, okay, let's just try this and see what happens. But, but it never is going to work out exactly as you put it on paper. And that drives people with this gift a little crazy. And so they have to be exhorted <laughs> to do this with, with zeal, with, with, uh, with, with hurry, <laughs> with let's do it. Like we can't just sit here making plans about our plans. We, we've got to actually engage in ministry. So the question is, are you one of these kinds of people? Are you one of these kinds of people? Um, are you one of those kinds of folks when you walk into a setting, doesn't have to be church setting, could be any kind of setting, and you're thinking, wow, this could really run a lot more smoothly. You don't just see the problems. You see the solutions. You see the opportunities. And you're thinking, here's some ways that, that, that this thing could go much, much better than it is uh, right now. You probably have the gift of administration. Uh, the next question is, are you exercising that gift in the church? Either organically or organizationally. It doesn't have to be you have an official slot that we've placed you in and we've given you a, a title. I mean, that, that can be the case, but, but it, it can also be this, just organically. You are expressing this gift. And this is true of all, all these gifts. Really, we, we want to be asking these questions today, especially as we, as we look at this gift it, it's sort of inventory there on that sheet and we're thinking about what, what are my one or two gifts that God has given me to build up the church and be on the mission that the church has been placed by God on. And we're asking, what are those gifts and am I using those gifts? Am I, am I using those gifts? Because obviously those gifts were just given to us, just kind of put on the shelf. Woohoo, look at me, I have the gift of administration. Well, big deal. Like, put it into practice. Put it into practice. Do something with it. If, if, if you're just kind of polishing it up and, and admiring it. Um, that's not what God has in mind uh, 
for that gift or any gift for that matter. And so we're hoping that as you are, are prayerfully looking at that sheet that we gave you, that, you, that you're uh, giving us some indication of, of you know, what your gifts are and where you're currently using those gifts. And again, it could be organizationally, it could be organically, all that's important. We know that the mission of this church is way bigger than the actual structure of the church. Uh, that, that a lot of things are going organically that we, we don't have to have a little box for it, okay? So, so I hope you hear that, that, that if you're expressing that in some organic ways, um, that you would put that down too. And that, that you would also put down, here's some ways I'd like to explore. I, I, I think I'd like to be more uh, involved in this way and using this gift. And we're going to look at those. We're going to prayerfully consider those. We're going to probably reach out to you and say, here's some things we think would be a good way for you to express that gift. And especially, we got 21 days until everybody, all the students are back, and this room is, is, is uh, overfilled with people. And so this is a great way for us to prep for that mission that God's placed this church on in this new season of outreach and growth that will undoubtedly come uh, in the next three weeks. Uh, so please consider that. It, if if you're, you're like, I don't know, I have no idea, there's a slot for that. Put, I don't know. And we'll probably reach out to you and say, hey, we're doing a, a small kind of workshop on spiritual gifts. Come, come hang out with us for a Saturday morning and we'll talk more about gifts and maybe help you to discover um, what those are, all right? If, if you want to go, you want to take this home, you want to pray over it some more, uh, totally do that. Um, think about it, pray about it, uh, and then maybe take a picture of it. Once you filled it out, send it to our office. Uh, you can always send uh, information to our office at contact at and then our website church website knowmercy.org um, and then we'll have that and we can put that in the uh, the stack of others that will we'll turn these in uh, today uh, no matter our gifts no matter our gifts we we serve at the pleasure of our head our king jesus christ right we serve at his pleasure and uh, he is the ultimate administrator no, that sounds kind of weird. Maybe you never think of Jesus as an administrator. But, but he has a plan, and he is fulfilling that plan to absolute perfection. Uh, even in the predictions about his birth, um, the prophet Isaiah, we usually read this on Christmas, right? Isaiah 9, 6, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. He's governing. He's administrating. Notice that the government is on his shoulder. It's, the people aren't under his feet. The government's not under his feet, and he's ruling and reigning on top of it. He's actually getting up under it. Right? He's supporting it. He's giving it servant leadership. Uh, in the American form of government, we have three different forms and Three branches, uh, it's sometimes uh, described as legislative, which is the Congress, they make the laws, they sort of set, set the course, set the vision uh, for the country. The executive, which executes the laws or administrates the laws. This is why we say the Trump administration, the Bush administration, the Clinton administration, uh, because the executive branch is the administrating branch. And then the judicial branch makes sure the, the laws and the execution of the laws are constitutional. And I don't think in any time in my lifetime have I been uh, so disgusted with the executive branch than right now, right? Incompetence and immoral 
it's, it's a horrible time in a lot of ways uh, in, the, in what's unfolding in the administration of the American government. Uh, but it is also a reminder that we need a Jesus administration. We need a Jesus administration. Uh, Jesus is executing a plan of redeeming the, the earth through his death on the cross. He is, he's resurrecting the earth. And he will execute that plan. He will administrate that plan with absolute perfection. And at this time, he's doing that through the church. Also in Ephesians, in chapter 3, we hear Paul describe this, this plan. He says, To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. He's, he's letting the Ephesians know and, and letting us know that out of the unsearchable riches of Christ, the, the grace that comes from his death on the cross to pay for our sins, his, the victory that he gives us through his resurrection, his ascension, and his one day return, out of those riches, God is producing a people, the church. And the church is displaying the full-orbed wisdom of God on planet Earth. This is His plan. This is His administration that He is carrying out, even right now, in this room, in this little church called Mercy House, out here in Western Mass. He's, he's fulfilling, He's administrating His, his plan. And, and he's, He is depicting His wisdom through his church. And, and so we, we don't just wait around for Jesus to administrate his, his plan, although there's some sense in which we're waiting, and we know that this is an already but not yet execution of the administration, but we get involved with the administration of his plan. He, he's inviting us, just like Jethro was teaching Moses. Don't, you're not the only one that's going to be co-laboring with God to administrate the plan. Invite as many others as you possibly can to in, to co-labor with God, to administrate the plan of God. And, and that's, that's all of us. Consider yourself a fellow administrator, even if that's not your main gift. At some level, you're called to, to see the problems and to see the opportunities and, and to, 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 to carry out solutions to those problems and, and to seize on those opportunities that you see because the God of heaven, again, is administrating a plan through the unsearchable riches of Christ that he has bought and paid for with his own life so that the manifold wisdom of God can be displayed on the earth. And those solutions are going to be very much like Jethro's solution. They're always going to be God-centered. They're always going to be God-centered. They're not going to be some humanly hatched, half-baked thing that, that points to people only. Right? They're going to be God-centered, but they're also going to include the many uh, faceted gifts of our brothers and sisters in the church. And, 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 and they're also going to include the details needed to actually get the job done. 
While talking is very important, teaching is very important, oftentimes we talk way more than we actually walk this stuff out. And so it's administrators that come alongside the church and say, no, let's get this done. Let's not just talk about it. Let's actually get the plan done that God has given our particular local church. We're reminded of this plan every time we come to this table. We're reminded on the night in which Jesus was betrayed. Didn't seem like the plan was working out all that well. Seemed like maybe God had lost control of it, right? And he takes bread and he breaks it. He gives it to his disciples and he says, take, eat. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In a very strong sense, he's letting them know, yeah, Judas is out there somewhere and he's, he's selling me out and, and he, 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 you guys are all gonna, you're gonna run when, whenever you're, you're uh, faced with persecution and this night's gonna be the, it's gonna seem to be like the worst night ever, but the plan is still being executed perfectly, right? And in the same way, he took the cup and after he'd blessed the cup and gave thanks for it, he gave it to them saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins, As often as you drink this, do this in remembrance of me. This new covenant, part of what he's talking about is a new new community. That because of what he's going to do on the cross and the reconciliation that's possible through Christ, that there's also going to be a reconciliation possible with one another because of the unsearchable riches of Christ. And so there's going to be this new covenant community that's going to come out of the riches of Christ, and that's going to be the church. And we're reminded of that perfect plan and how how God is executing that perfect plan every time we come to this table over and over and over and over again. And then we send you out to continue co-laboring with God and administrating that plan of demonstrating, proclaiming the gospel. Because we want as many people as are willing to come and participate in that same plan. So this is, this is how big, how cosmic this thing is that you and I are doing today in our little sleepy little college town right now at Mercy House. And so it may be a part of God's plan today that you become a Christian today. You may be listening to me talk about what Christ has given you through the, his death on the cross to forgive you, to reconcile you with him and to give you a new community, and you're saying, I want that. And I would encourage you to receive that today as a free gift, because that's how you get it. (laughs) It's not something uh, you you do to earn it or to to be worthy of it. You actually have to admit you're unworthy of it and can only receive it as a free gift. And so if that's where you are, that you would receive that by faith today and be forgiven and brought back in relationship with God and relationship with brothers and sisters in Christ here at Mercy House. And so we're, we're going to do this outward sign of this cosmic plan that is at work even now, uh, today, as we meet to worship. Um, and I want to encourage those who are here who are exploring the faith. Maybe this is the first time you've been here. You, you know you're not a Christian and you, you just want to uh, figure things out. Well, we're glad you're here. We're really glad that you're here. Uh, but I'm going to encourage you during this time at least to, to just remain in your seat to think about what you're hearing, to pray, and then to seek someone out after the service and talk more about it. And I'd be happy to do that. I'll be down front uh, after the service and I'd be happy to answer any questions or talk more about it. Uh, But just use this time as a time to meditate and think about what you've heard. All right, let's pray. 
God, thank you that um, we know there's an administration that has absolute perfect plans and an absolute perfect execution of those plans. From step one to step 100, you've got it. You're the Alpha and the Omega. You're the beginning and you're the end and everything in between. And so we, we are grateful in that. We take heart in that, Lord, and, and, and we want to participate in that. We're honored that you would invite us in. Obviously, you don't need us. You, you could execute this plan much better by yourself. But you invite us in to co-labor with you as your sons and daughters and to use gifts that you've given us so graciously, empowered by the Spirit, to participate in the ongoing mission that is your mission, God. Thank you for that. And so I pray you would help each one of us, Lord. Give us a discernment about what our gifts are, what our calling is, and what that looks like as we take the next step forward in your call for us to be a part of this mission. Or we also pray, Lord, that we would stay rooted in the unsearchable riches of Christ. That while we are doing things, that first and foremost, we are being, we, we are rooted in you as an identity that's not based on our work, but based on your work on the cross. So Lord, sink our roots deep in that identity today, and then out of that, may we serve you well as individuals and as a community that is Mercy House. We pray your blessing over the, the bread and the cup. Lord, may this be a time of sweet communion with you and each other as we are reminded of the grand plan. God, this cosmic thing that's happening all around us, and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.